friends. Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. Jonathan, if I've met you, one of the pastors here, and really glad to share uh, the word with you this morning. And it's just such a joy to be uh, in God's house with God's people. I love Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings are a highlight of my week. And this morning, we're going to dig into a new series. But before we do, I, I really want to help situate us as a community, especially because we have so many new people here, um, about who we are. You heard this morning that we're a worshiping community. We're a disciple-making community. We're a generational community. But just to add a, a, a little bit more color to that idea, a few years ago, God really redirected our church to center this family around worship and prayer, to become a church that hosts the presence of Jesus. Because we find this in the scripture, in the garden, God walks with Adam and Eve, right? In the garden, his presence is there. Then in the tabernacle with Moses, then in the temple with Israel, then Jesus himself, he comes to earth and he hosts, right? His presence is here in flesh and blood. We know about Christmas. And then he sends his Holy Spirit to live not only in us individually, but it actually says that the Holy Spirit dwells among the church. That we are the new tabernacle. And we believe this is the primary calling of the church, is to host the presence of Jesus. Moses says this. He says, God, if your presence doesn't go with us, how will everyone know that we're your people? He said, it's your presence that sets us apart from everybody else. See, everybody has laws and rules. Everybody has religious ethics. All of them have ideas. It's the presence of God in the world that sets the church apart from all other religions. So we're a worshiping community. And to do that, we had to come to know the Holy Spirit as a person and begin a journey of intimacy with him. And in that process, I just want you to know we have fallen in love with his leadership. We love his leadership. We love the way he speaks, the way he encourages, the way he comforts, the way he empowers and equips. We've discovered the goodness and joy of dependence on him and had our eyes open to who he is and what he does. And many of us have grown up in traditions in churches where that wasn't the case, and it's been beautiful to watch people's eyes get open to who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. And so, again, with, with many of us being here uh, this morning who are new or, or fairly new to Skyline, I just feel it necessary to say that we are committed to never quenching or offending the Holy Spirit. Like, we are so committed to never doing anything in this body when we gather to quench or offend the Holy Spirit, that our church is fundamentally open to the Holy Spirit in every way. We believe that if you can find it in the Bible, it's possible to be lived. We don't believe the Bible is just a fairy story from some other age that happened to some other people. We believe everything in the Bible is an invitation to us to be pursued and experienced. So that means we're open to the Holy Spirit. We're open to his fruits, right? And we're open to his gifts. And not just open, but we strongly desire 
First Corinthians says, pursue love and earnestly desire the gifts. I love it. It's like pursue love, right? We know that's our primary calling, but earnestly desire that the power of the Holy Spirit would be demonstrated in your midst. And so we're open and we openly desire, as listed in 1 Corinthians 12, right? Utterances of wisdom, utterances of knowledge, faith, healing, workings of miracles, prophecy, the ability to distinguish between spirits, various kinds of tongues, helping, administration, interpretation of tongues, leadership, all the things that the Bible says can happen when the Holy Spirit fills people in a place we openly desire. And here's what I believe. I believe that the more secular a society becomes, the more supernatural the church needs to be. I'll say that again. The more secular society becomes, the more supernatural the church needs to be. So all of that is true about us. It's firm. It's settled conviction. It's never going to change. As I say, the toothpaste is out of the tube. <laughs> Our church has seen too much. We've been blessed too much by God in the last three years to go backwards, to go to put the Holy Spirit on the back burner or to say, hey, this feels weird or we don't know what to do with this. We're not going to do that. But... That's not enough, right? That's not the whole story of who the church is. And we want to dig into this new series. If I can get that first slide up there, Reed. We're going to start a series on Proverbs because Jesus, right? Jesus, he meets this woman at the well in John 4, and he declares that the Father's seeking what? Rule followers, right? People who do all the right things, all the right... No, he says, I'm seeking worshipers. That's what he says. He says, I'm seeking people who will love me with their whole heart. But what kind of worshipers is he seeking? And the great thing is he specifies. He says, I'm seeking worshipers who will worship me in spirit and in truth. And I love this because Jesus doesn't leave us to a false choice that we have to choose one or the other. We either have to preach the Bible and neglect the Holy Spirit or let the, let the Holy Spirit be free and forget about the Bible. He says, no, 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 no. The way of God is, is this is two sides of one coin, spirit and truth. We need both, and we believe in both. As our friend John Tyson says, I love, he says, we seek a theology that can't be dismissed and a power that can't be denied. <laughs> I love that. We seek a theology that can't be dismissed, a deep, robust, biblical theology rooted in the word and the historic traditions of the church, and we seek to see the Holy Spirit pour out in power. We want the fire of the Spirit and the beauty of wisdom. That's how the church is supposed to live. So we're going to launch this series on the book of Proverbs because I think that wisdom is a result of life in the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit as the New Testament encourages you, you will grow in wisdom because this Holy Spirit will lead you to the Word. <laughs> the Word will lead you to Jesus and lead you to all the resources that Jesus has for us. And friends, I don't know if there's ever been a time where wisdom has been more lacking where there's been a more of an abundance of knowledge and a lack of wisdom. And everywhere you look around, you see that lack of wisdom, and the result of it is pain. Just pain, real pain in people's lives from not knowing how to live, because living without wisdom is to live out of step with reality. We can have so many good things, but without wisdom, they ultimately fail to deliver. Ray, Ray Ortland says it this way. He says, if we have love but not wisdom, we will harm people with the best of intentions. If we have courage but not wisdom, we will blunder boldly. 
If we, uh, if we have truth but not wisdom, we will make the gospel ugly to other people. If we have technology but not wisdom, we'll use the best communications ever invented to broadcast stupidity. If we have revival but not wisdom, we'll use the power of God to throw the church into reverse gear. So all of these things we, we want, but we have to have wisdom. We need spirit and truth. I love Proverbs says in Proverbs 1, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction and wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase. I love that. The wise hear and increase in learning. The one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. So we want to know wisdom and instruction in these days in, in, in such a confusing time to live where there's so many voices saying so many things and your life is basically like, um, I guess the word I would use, like our lives right now are so porous. <laughs> They're so open because we're taking in so much information all day, every day. We take in, I mean, literally in one day, you take in more information than your grandparents took in probably in a year. You get more messages, you get more ideas, you get more confusion, you see more images literally in a day than somebody 50 or 60 years ago probably would have seen an entire year. And then you ask yourself, how am I supposed to live in the midst of this? What does it look like to follow Jesus, to live well? So we're going to spend the next 12 weeks talking about Proverbs and wisdom, talking about being skillful at life. You know, you can be good at living life, (laughs) or you can be bad at living life, and there's real lasting consequences to a lack of wisdom. And this means talking about things that are hard to talk about sometimes. It means talking about family and money and our speech and our relationships, our marriages, anger about work about sexuality, about our bodies, all the stuff of life. What does the Bible say about those things? And how can we live wisely in these days? What is a proverb? What is wisdom? Why do you need it? What will be the result if you get it? We're going to talk about that today. So what, what is a proverb, right? A proverb's this. I love this description. It's a poetic, terse, vivid, thought-provoking saying that conveys a world of truth in a few words. That's a, it's, it's like truth for the road, right? Something that you can come up with really quickly. When you're in a spot where you don't know what to do, having a litany of Proverbs in the back of your mind can be so helpful because it might help you control your speech at a really important moment in your life. It might help you be generous, right? In a moment where you might just walk past somebody and not give, but you remember that thing says, a righteous man lends to the poor, Just a little phrase in the back of your head can help you live in a way that God blesses. So, but here's the interesting thing. Proverbs are neither absolute commands nor promises, and they're often partial. This is the hard part. A a, a proverb is true, but it's not always true in every situation. Does that make sense? So we can't just blindly apply them and expect that if we do them by the letter, this is what we want. We want two plus two equals four. A plus B equals C. If I do this, God will bless me. That's not the way it works. What they are is they're mostly true, 
right? It's like Princess Bride, right? He's mostly dead, right? They're mostly true. If you live your life by these words, they're mostly true, and yet they don't always work, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But the point of a proverb, then, is to be rightly related to reality through hard thinking and sustained reflection, We want to think deeply about life, and we want to reflect on what's happening in this world, and what does God have to say about it? That's a proverb. So, what is wisdom, right? Wisdom is the ability to apply truth to all of life's varied situations. So, you can know the truth, but if you can't apply it, is it any good to you? How many people do you know have tons of the Bible memorized, and they're terrible at relationships, right? They're just like, you're like, man, how can you be this bad? You know so much about who God is and what he's done. You have the Bible memorized, and yet in your workplace, people think so lowly of you. Why is that? It's because they, they haven't gotten the ability to apply the truth in everyday situations, in real life and real relationships, um, where things are hard and messy and confusing So wisdom's the ability to apply the truth. It's a totalizing concept that seeks to bring all of life's activities into harmony with God's created order. Right? So it takes all the stuff of life and says, what what does this look like if God's actually the creator, he created the universe, and he created it to function in a certain way? How do I live in, um, in accordance to that in the same way that I live in accordance to gravity? If gravity's true, if I stood on the edge of this building, you know what I'd be? I'd be careful. Because I know if I fell off, things would go badly for me, and there's nothing I can do about it, right? Once I, once I, I tip over, it's over. Now it's just chance. What will I break, <laughs> right? Or will I live? So we want to bring our activities of life into harmony with how God has created the world. At its core, the belief is that God created the world in, with, and by wisdom. So the proverb says, it says he created the world in, with, and by wisdom. The wise, therefore, seek to orient all their being and actions to conform with this wisdom, with his wisdom. We seek to live in his wisdom. Wisdom is the skillful life. So where does wisdom come from? Proverbs says this, for I am gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Where does wisdom come from? Wisdom comes from God. (laughs) That's it. Full, period, stop. That's it. If you want to get wisdom, you have to get God. Now, does that mean that people who don't have God can't live with wisdom? No, it means the people who don't have God who live wisdom are people who are living God's wisdom without knowing it. And it's interesting because God created the world with, by, and in wisdom. If you live wisely according to his ways, you can still be blessed, even if you don't call him Lord. That's why you see non-Christians who live wisely, who it feels like their lives are blessed, right? Because they're living according to the created order. They're being honest. They're being kind. They're being generous. They love their children. They love their spouse. They treat their employees justly. So what happens? They're blessed, Things work. And, and here's the key. Because wisdom comes from God, that means, and this, is, this will save you so much pain in your life. We have all these young people here. I just want to tell you, this will save you so much pain. There is a moral order to the universe that God created. I just want to say, there is a moral order. There is an operating system 
to this universe that God created. And you can either live in the grain of it, with the stream of it, or you can fight against it. And fighting against it will bring you pain. It'll just bring you pain. Now, can you get away with it for a season? Sure. Can you get away with it for a whole life? Maybe. Now, life has pain. We're all going to experience pain. Even if you live in the grain of God's wisdom, you just, you, you get all this stuff. You're like Solomon. Solomon is the wisest man who ever lived. You know what he had in his life? He still had pain. A lot of it was self-inflicted ways that he didn't live according to his own wisdom. And yet, the moral order to the universe means things are a way, and we can wish they were a different way, and yet they can't be any differently because God decreed it so when he created the world. He made the world. So to live in alignment with it is to prepare your life for blessing. Will that blessing come? I don't know. But to live out of alignment with it is to risk pain and disruption continually. And these are simple things like telling the truth, right? Being generous, being kind, being thoughtful, right? Not having uh, angry speech, controlling your tongue. These are just like regular, real-life things. But if you start there, if you build a foundation within your life, you're like, I believe there's a moral order to the universe, and I can live at peace in that order. Friends, you're, you're, you're like, you're going to be so far ahead of most people you're around. If you'll just acknowledge that and begin. The Bible also says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, of wisdom. And, and here's when you say fear, I know that can conjure up. Some of you have grew up in churches where God's like wrathful and he's angry all the time. He's unhappy with you. He's like just mean. And you wonder why. You're like, if I was God, I'd be happy. I don't know why God's so unhappy. That's not what this is talking about. That's a false view of God. This is, uh, I love one person said, the fear of the Lord is affectionate reverence. Affectionate reverence. So I had a grandpa. This is my mom's dad. He's the godliest man I've ever known. He was the meekest man I've ever known. My mom was always like, he could lead anybody to Jesus. Like, like she's like, I've watched him lead, lead truckers to Jesus at a truck stop. And there's like burly, big, mean man. My grandpa's like, kind of like just meek and he's just simple and he just loves Jesus. And, and I just think of the affectionate reverence I had for my grandpa. Like when I'd sit in his presence, I tried really hard to respect him because he was a man of honor. I mean, even as a little kid, I just remember thinking like, this, he's important. My mom treated him with affectionate reverence. Like when we went to his house, we followed his rules. We played, you know, we're like, and, and I just think about like, oh, that, that's the way I feel about God. Is this, this affectionate reverence? I know he's powerful. I know he's all-knowing. I know he's all these things, but he also loves me. So I have this, this reverence and awe for him, but it's, it's from a base of love and affection because he deals justly with me. He loves me. He wants to know me. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How do, we, how do we get wisdom, right? So how do you get it? You get it by humbly submitting yourself to God's word and living according to it. That's it. I mean, it's, it's literally so simple. You get it by practicing it. <laughs> By practicing it, Jesus says this, everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. What do he say? He says, the water rises and the wind blows and the house in the sand falls. There's destruction. But the one who built his house on the rock, the winds came and the waters rose and the house stood. If you want to have a life that stands the test of time, you will hear the word of God and you'll do what it says. That's it. And can I take it one step further? It's not just the word of God, but it's men and women in whom the word of God has come to rest. And you listen to those people and you know what you do? You obey them. And I know that sounds really weird, especially as an adult. But friends, I have godly men and women in my life who I will obey. I don't just listen to. They can tell me what to do and I will do it. Because there comes a point in your life where you're like, I think I know what to do, but man, I'm get, I'm, I've gotten sideways. <laughs> and I'm kind of spinning. And so I have, I have godly counselors in my life that say, Jonathan, you need to do this. You need to apologize. And I just say, okay. If this godly man in my life who loves me, cares for me, will never give up on me, if they tell me to do something, I'll just go do it. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is the practice of submission to wisdom. (laughs) When you hear it, you go and do it. And the more you do that thing, the better you get at it. And you know what? You look up someday, and next thing you know, somebody comes and meets with you, and they ask you for wisdom. That's the fun part. You're like, oh, actually, I'm 43 now, and I actually get to meet with people, and I have a smidge of wisdom, right? Right? But there's a lot of times people meet with me and I'm like, hey, you need to go meet with Billy because <laughs> he has more wisdom than I do, all right? Or, or I'll just tell you what Billy would say. Here's what Billy would say, right? Here's what Greg would say. Here's what Todd would say. Here's these men in my life who have poured into me. Here's what I'm going to give you. But you get to the point where you've practiced it enough that you actually become wise. And that should be your goal in life is to become wise, To become the kind of man or woman who other people seek out when it comes to how do I live well? How do I live well? How do I live at peace? How do I stay married? How do I raise my kids? How do I save my money? How do I succeed in my work? How do I love my neighbor the way that Jesus has called me to? You get it by humbly submitting yourself to God. So what's what's the result, right? What happens if you do this? good thing is in the Proverbs. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. Those who find wisdom are what? Are blessed. And, and this isn't like prosperity gospel. I don't know what all that blessing means. It could mean any number of a million of things. God has everything. <laughs> so when he chooses to bless people, he gets to decide how he blesses people. But he says, you're blessed for it's more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She's more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with wisdom. Long life is in her right hand and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant. All her paths are peace. So what do you get if you get wisdom? You get pleasantness. You get peace. You get long life. You get all these things. Again, is this foolproof? No. I know people who are wise who died young, right? And yet I'd rather die young with wisdom, right? I'd rather be the exception to this rule knowing I lived well for whatever years I had than throw caution to the wind because it's not guaranteed, right? 
That's what we do sometimes, right? Ah, it's not guaranteed. If I'm honest, I'll get up. You know, so I'm just going to cut corner. I'm going to do this. And someday, you know, I'll come back and I'll do the right thing or, you know, all those things. But I love this. Blessed are those who found wisdom. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the watery depths were divided. The clouds let, the, <laughs> let drop the dew. My son, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight preserve sound judgment and discretion. They will be life for you. An ornament of grace around your neck. Wisdom will hang on your life as grace. If you've ever been around a wise person, you sense like grace. You sense lightness, pleasantness, peace. You sense a different kind of way of being. So why doesn't it always work, right? We've kind of danced around it. Why doesn't it always work? It doesn't always work because we have an enemy. <laughs> we live in a fallen world. We battle the world, the flesh, and the devil. They conspire against this moral order that God has created and, and I get it, you know, it may seem that because of that, it's not worth it to live wisely because sometimes you might actually pay a price to live wisely and it may not return right away. Maybe long suffering. It doesn't always work. You know, Colossians says this, if you died with Christ to the elemental spirits of the world, why, if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? What, what's happening? There's elemental spirits in the world that are trying to trick you into a false kind of wisdom. Isn't this interesting? This is the wisdom of religion versus the religion of freedom of the, of the new covenant. It tries to get you into a false sense of wisdom of don't handle, don't taste, don't touch, right? According to human precepts and teachings, it wants to get you to trade the, the wisdom of the gospel of Jesus for a different kind. And listen, these have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, a severity to the body, but they have no value Zero value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So what, what happens? Why doesn't it always work? Because sometimes we choose the wrong wisdom. Sometimes we think we have wisdom and really what we got was religion, rules, regulations, people's thoughts. And we didn't get actually to true wisdom. Romans 7, right? Why else? He says this, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. What happens? The flesh in us, our sinful nature wages war against the wisdom of God. This isn't just something you're like, I'm going to choose today to be wise, and it's just all going to be you know, hunky-dory and easy. No, no, no. Like, your flesh is going to conspire against you. First Peter 5, why else? You have an enemy. He literally prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Do you know who he devours first? The unwise. That's the, the first ones. The ones who are just living unwisely are the first ones to go. So what about Jesus, right? Let's connect it to Jesus. Friends, this is what I love. This, this, somebody made this statement and I read it. Jesus is the shrewdest man who ever lived. How cool is that? Jesus is the shrewdest, wisest human being who ever lived lived. No one ever outfought him. No one surprised him or cornered him in a debate. He was always one step ahead of everyone. He's the best counselor you could ever have. The Old Testament prophesied that the Messiah would be anointed with wisdom and understanding. He wasn't fooled by appearances or swayed by hearsay or biased toward power and wealth. Right? The Bible says that Jesus has eyes like a flame of fire which see through everything 
1 Corinthians 1.30 says that Jesus is the wisdom of God. Matthew 12 says Jesus' wisdom is greater than Solomon's. He is wisdom in the flesh. <laughs> Jesus is wisdom in flesh and blood. So we seek the wisdom of the Bible because wisdom is the grace of Christ beautifying our lives, making us beautiful. Paul says that God has lavished his grace upon us in all wisdom and insight. The Bible says that in Christ, we are hidden, in, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Isn't that crazy? So in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and Christ lives in you, which means inside you right now, you have all the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge you could ever have. You just have to ask and obey. <laughs> That's it. Isn't that amazing? You just have to ask. No, it's key. You can ask all you want, but if you don't obey, you won't get wiser. Annie's dad has this saying, it's, which is a proverb. It's just great. He says, um, telling isn't teaching. Listening isn't learning. You learn by doing. And I love it because you can tell somebody until the cows come home, but you haven't taught them and they can listen until the cows come home. But until they have done the thing that you've told them, they haven't learned. You learn by doing. So here's my goal for our church. It would be that we would see the power of God poured out by the Holy Spirit so that our church would be a supernatural community. So that people would know that there's a God in heaven, that he's real and that his hand is on his people. But not just that, that the power of the Holy Spirit would fill our lives to live wise and beautiful lives amongst the world. That would cause people to wonder what it is about who we are and what we believe that could create such faith, hope, joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Like, like people would go like, who are these people? who have just learned to live so well amongst all the varied circumstances of life. This will touch every area of our lives, our finances, our emotions, our business, our work, our families, our marriages, our bodies. We want to learn to live skillfully in the days that we've been given to live, right? So we're not in the 1950s. We're not in the 1850s. We're not in the 300s. We live in 2022. What does it look like to live wisely according to the challenges we face today? To live skillfully. And this has been a great failure, uh, I think, in the last maybe you know, 10 or 15 years in the church, 20 years, but especially in the last two years. Where is there wisdom in the midst of a global pandemic? <laughs> where is wisdom? Where is people who are living well in the face of so much tragedy and difficulty. And you know where I've seen people living well? Here. <laughs> I've seen people living with hope, with faith, with peace, with joy, with love, with generosity, with power from the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up. We're going to read a couple more passages and then we're going we're to close. I love Proverbs. He says this, when I was a son with my father, this Proverbs 4, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. <laughs> get insight. I love that. If you're going to get anything, get wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. <laughs> I love that. What's the beginning of wisdom? To get it. Right? That's it. You got to get it. 
prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. So here's the problem we face is we live in a generation that values the new and the young. We, we think that newness means we've discovered something like real and powerful and we undervalue the old, the ancient, right? The past, these, these old paths. And I want to encourage you. Um, Jeremiah, I love this. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for what? The ancient paths. The ancient paths. Um, and this is the thing. It, if all of your wisdom is coming from, you know, the last year or two years or ten years, you're going to be in trouble. We need to relearn the ancient wisdom of the scriptures. We need to learn the wisdom of our grandparents. There's ways that our grandparents lived, that their parents lived, that we've lost. And has our generation gained some things? Sure. Are we nicer, maybe in some ways? Probably. Are we a bit more gracious? Yeah. Some would say that uh, this new generation is better at the soft virtues, but we've let go of some of the harder virtues, right? Discipline, hard work. I mean, these are biblical concepts that, that God says, if you do these things, it will go well with you. Stand by the roads and look. Ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and then do what? Walk in it. Walk in it. That's it. Find someone who's 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years older than you and ask them for their advice. How should you live? How should you serve God? How should you love your wife? How should you handle your money? Listen deeply. And then walk in it. But listen to what they said. They said, we will not walk in it. We will not pay attention. Therefore, oh, hear, hear, oh, nations, and know, oh, congregation, what will happen to them. I'm bringing disaster upon this people. What happens to individuals, families, cities, regions, and nations that live unwisely according to God's great created order? What happens? Disaster. Empires fall, right? Cities go away. Families dissolve. And people die where there's a lack of wisdom. Jeremiah says in chapter 2, he says, My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns that cannot hold water. Long ago, you broke off your yoke and tore off your bonds, and you said, I will not serve you. Friends, if this doesn't sound like our nation right now, like this, this generation that says, listen, I want to break off the bonds of God because I want to live in the way that I want to live, and I want a different kind of wisdom. But in the midst of that, you know what? A new people can rise up, a remnant, the Bible is called, say, no, 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 we're not going to break off the bonds of God. We're going to receive the yoke. We're going to give up our broken cisterns, which can't hold water, and we're going to receive from God living water. I want you to stand your feet. I want to pray for you. So just a couple questions. Do you believe our culture is happy? <laughs> 
Like, do you walk around your workplace? Do you get on the internet and read Twitter, read the headlines, and, and see, like, happiness abounds in our nation, in our state, in our city? Your friends, if you have friends who have just really swallowed the ways of the world, they've swallowed the culture, they've adopted the spirit of the age, are they at peace? Are they at peace? Those you know who have completely bowed to the idols of our culture, do they have hope? Do they have joy? I think the answer is no. I don't see it. And that's actually good news. That's good news. The secular story of the world is not working. <laughs> the question is, is our story working for us? Is Christianity working for you? Right? Have you taken on the wisdom of God? Have you decided to live it even in the places where it seems like, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know how I give 10% of my income. I don't know how I do it. I don't know how I stay sexually pure in such a difficult time in history. I don't know how I deal with my money in such a way to honor God for my business. I don't know how, but the Bible says this, so I'm going to try. I'm going to live according to these things. So the question is, where are the Christians, right? Where are the great lights that shine in the darkness? Where are the people who are wise and free? Those who Tim Keller spoke about the early Christians, he said, those who give their bodies to almost no one and their money to almost everyone. <laughs> those kind of Christians. Those who know how to steward wealth and technology and intellect and emotions and their bodies, who are in the world but not of it, who live by different rules and rhythms. I think Jesus wants to rebuild wisdom in the body of Christ today. And I think we, we get so seduced by just trying to decide if something's right or wrong and not whether it's wise. Right? So it's not legalism. It's not right or wrong. Is it, does this path lead to life? Will I have peace, life, hope, joy if I choose this thing? So last one, Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Amen. So Jesus, we love you. I pray that you would come today and meet us with your wisdom. I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring to life your word, especially this book, the book of Proverbs, as we study it, that we would shine like lights in the darkness, that our lives would be beautiful because of your wisdom getting worked through us. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.